This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And we're back here on Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. We cut Steve Geller loose. He's somewhere a couple thousand feet up in the air, flying up to frigid Cleveland. But the good news is we have someone already out in Cleveland to give us a lowdown on the Browns. It's Daryl Ryder, Browns reporter for 92.3 The Fan and host of the It's Always Game Day in Cleveland podcast. How you doing, Daryl? It's cold out there. Uh, not yet. It no. will be in about 12 hours. But right now, the deep freeze is, I guess, on the way. Is that the meteorolo- meteorological term that they uh, they use? It's on the way. It's it makes sense way. to me, but give me what temperature is it right now? Right now, it's 42 degrees. Yeah, so to me, that's cold. For Cleveland in December, that's actually warm. It, that's T-shirt weather here. Yeah, like it's about uh, it's about 48 to 50 right now in New Orleans, and I'm dying. Um, well, I, I'll tell you this. I, I know this, that when you go, uh, when you get to the south, 50 degrees hits a lot harder in the south than it does uh, up north. It, 50 degrees down south is the equivalent of being like below freezing up north in the winter. Well, so I grew up, I grew up in New England, so I'm familiar with the weather temperature. But the difference to me, and I've said this on this podcast, and anyone listening to this podcast has heard me say this several times. The biggest issue is I can't insulate my home like the house does not warm up. It's like whatever temperature it is outside, it is inside. So there's a lot of sweatshirts and uh, and warm socks. But either way, it's you know what it's going to be down to like 13, I believe, for this game, or at least 13 is the high. It could be like in the single digits for this game. And I mean, even for an Ohio winter, that's a pretty crazy number. Am I right? Well, it's not so much the temperature that's going to be the problem. It's the, the wind. wind chill. And they are forecasting winds of uh, – at least 30 miles an hour coming straight off the lake. And there is yeah. nothing that stops the wind coming off the lake other than first energy stadium. So <laughs> that when they're forecasting wind chills to be around 20 below zero, that's what hits you hard. Now this yeah. is going to be the coldest Browns g- uh, game that they will have played at least at home 
since the 2009 season. They hosted the Steelers on a Thursday night, beat them 13 to six. Uh, in that game, temperatures were in the single digits. The wind chills were around 15 to 18 below zero. So the temperature is going to be a little warmer, but the wind chill going to be worse. So, and, and there's also, uh, we're expecting a white Christmas to be coming yeah. with this. Uh, I guess they're calling it a bomb cyclone or whatever. It, it is funny because the, when the Saints went out to Seattle last year, they, de- they dealt with a bomb cyclone. Like, first time I had ever heard that term. But it was, you know, it was warmer weather at that point. So it was rain and wind. It is kind of wild that two consecutive seasons, the Saints have had to go on the road and face a bomb cyclone. But yeah, it's uh, I am like Steve is out there and he's he spent like all week, like buying clothing to bring because it's like, man. he doesn't even own the proper attire to go out there and deal with that. I hope he brought a stocking cap, some gloves, has a hoodie that he can pull over said stocking cap. Maybe some goggles to cover the eyes. Uh, <laughs> true story. So that game that I mentioned, that Thursday night game, my eye, walking back at like 3 in the morning uh, to the parking lot, one of my eyes, my right eye, froze. The oh, tears, The tears in my eye had froze because I wasn't blinking enough to keep it, you know, I guess, unfroze. And you want to talk about unimaginable pain. Yeah, uh, think that. of one thousand needles getting stuck into your eye all at the same time. Now, granted, as soon as I got in my car, like it took two seconds for it to unfreeze, but that actually happened. Like I could not physically blink. <laughs> it was the worst. But um, it's yeah, so it's cold. Gonna, your face literally develops icicles. Yes, uh, it's so cold. You wish you did not feel your face. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Steve. So Steve is our sideline reporter, so he'll be down there. But I told him like. Uh, and guess what? I got bad news for him. He has the south sideline. That's yeah. the visitor sideline. And it's going to suck to be him because that's where the wind is going to hit straight on. So all his sideline reports, he's probably going to have to do it like with his back to the field. He's going to have to do one of these. Like my, I'm turning my back to you right now. This is what Steve is going to have to do at first stadium as he's doing his uh, sideline reports because he's going to be so <laughs> – it's all that wind is going to be right in his face. Yeah, I have a feeling he's going to be like bumping people out of the way to get in front of those jet heaters or whatever they have down there. Another thing, he don't get within eight feet of those things or else you could catch on fire. Bust. I, I, a true story, that apparently has happened where somebody has caught fire from Yikes. one of those. So yeah, if you get cold enough, it might not be the worst. You know, we've spent like literally, it is funny because we talked to Andy Dalton yesterday and he obviously spent his whole career in the AFC North yep. and he knows full well how cold it can get in Ohio in the winter. And it was funny because we were talking to him and we were asking him all about it and you could tell he was like, yeah, it's not, it's, it's cold. It's, it's what happens. And we asked him, was like, would you even get asked questions like this if you're still up in Cincinnati? He's like, nope. They would ask me more questions about, oh, you're going down to Florida. It's going to be hot. How are you going to handle? But, you know, one of the things that's interesting to me about this matchup and it kind of goes back to Andy Dalton is, You know, you would think the Saints going to Cleveland to play a game in this type of temperature would be like, oh, well, the quarterback's going to have to adjust. He's going to have to figure it out. But in this matchup, it's kind of strange because the Saints quarterback is going to be a whole lot more familiar with this type of game than the Browns quarterback. Because Deshaun Watson went to Clemson, obviously doesn't get that cold there. He spent his whole career in Houston. Now he's suddenly his fourth career start is in these single digit temperatures. 
how do you expect he's going to operate in this temperature? In this Turn and temperature? hand the ball to Nick Chubb. Yeah. Turn and hand the ball to Kareem Hunt. Turn and hand the ball to Amari Cooper coming around the edge. Turn and hand the ball to Donovan Peoples-Jones also coming around the edge. That's how. Like, and, and, and I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I think that's what Andy Dalton's going to have to do. If the wind is is as bad as it is, be it's if the forecast holds true, right, and the gusts are what they are, it's going to be real difficult to throw the football Saturday. It, it it's going to come down to who can win in the trenches and win at the line of scrimmage. And the good news for the Browns, Nick Chubb going to play number one, number two. They have one of the better uh, rushing attacks in the NFL. Uh, Ethan Posick, their backup center. Uh, who t- took over when Nick Harris got hurt in training camp. He is going to be activated and is expected to start and play for the Browns. So that's going to help shore up the interior of uh, that offensive line, hopefully. Um, Former LSU uh, standout, Ethan, Ethan Project. Yep. Yeah, so I just I think that uh, there is a little bit of an advantage there for the Browns when it comes to the run game. But to your point, yeah, I would say the Saints have the advantage between the two quarterbacks because, well, Andy Dalton's played in bitter cold before. And so he knows exactly what to expect. Whereas Deshaun Watson, he's heard about it. Uh, we're going to find out just how much he really does love <laughs> playing in cold weather. Maybe he'll crinkle up some of that $230 million and like stuff it in his, uh, you know, in his pads for some extra, extra warmth. They say paper is a good insulator in that type of weather. He can afford some, some fancy hand warmers. That's for sure. I guess I do have a question. So obviously you're familiar with this stadium when it does get this windy, right? It's coming off the lake. So is it kind of broadsiding this field or is it kind of where you have the wind on one drive and you are going against the wind on the other? How does it usually work in the stadium? You know what? Just leave your kicker at home, go for two <laughs> right, <laughs> uh, and be done with it and, and, and go for it on fourth down. That's what I would do. Uh, First energy stadium is very tough to kick in as uh Brown's rookie kicker is finding out this year. The fourth round pick, Cade York. Yeah, we know, um, we know what we know. Cade York well. Yeah, uh, not going well kicking at home. Let's just put it that way. Uh, you made that first one. Yeah, well, that but that was on the road. That was oh, it was on the road. You're that right. That was right. not at home. I think it's nine of fifteen kicking field goals at home. And oh, okay, a couple of PATs at home as well. Hasn't missed the PAT on the road, and uh, I think he's like eleven of fifteen or twelve feet. Like he's only missed a couple field goals on the road. So kicking at home, not going great for Cade, which is somewhat problematic because, well, this is where he's going to kick. Um, a lot, yeah. Yes. So um, it is a tough stadium to kick in. It really – I mean, Justin Tucker missed a field goal uh, Saturday in the loss to the Browns. Uh, he never misses kicks unless it's blocked, right? The only time Justin Tucker misses a kick is if it gets blocked. But he missed a field goal. Um, so – the dog pound end, which is the eastern end of the stadium, is historically the tougher end to kick in, as opposed to the west end, which is kind of weird because the, the wind is kind of blowing toward the dog pound. Yet that's the tougher uh, end to, to, to kick in. So but I, I'm anticipating that it's just going to be a tough environment to even try field goals. I, like I said, I, I would, inside the 50-yard line, four down territory, go for two no matter what, and this is for both teams. This isn't just a, this is yeah. what the Saints should do. This is what should, but like both teams. I would not attempt to do much place kicking other than kicking the ball off. And even then, your kickoffs, bang them right down the field. Don't don't try and loft it into the air and, you know, clear the 
uprights or whatever with it, which we've seen Cade York do that a few times. You, you, you just hammer it down the field. Well, so I, I guess when I when I asked that, I'm, I was thinking more in terms of, you know, it's obviously a lot easier to throw the ball when you have the wind at your back versus when you're going into the wind. So, you know, is this going to be a situation where, you know, there are, you know, our guy, our team's going to be calling timeouts at the end of the first quarter because they want to run that last play with the wind at their back versus, you know, because I like it does seem like this game's going to come down to, you know, whoever takes advantage of the conditions where they can actually score and then whoever gets out to a lead first because playing from behind is going to be a nightmare in this game. Yeah. And whoever wins the coin toss. Yeah. Right. will defer so that exactly. they can pick which side of the field they want to defend. Uh, to set up what you were talking about, to have the wind at their back, or at least the perceived feeling that the wind is at their back in the second and the the, the fourth quarters. Yeah, this is not going to be a game where you're going to want to have to come from behind in. So, you know, this is kind of uh, an aside. One of the things that always interests me about the Browns is they they love LSU players, whereas the Saints they don't care. You know, see uh, the, the Browns have the same problem that the Saints have. See. The Saints have a football factory in their backyard in LSU, and they won't uh-huh. draft the players, right? Exactly. Yeah. The Browns have Ohio State, which I argue plays the best professional football in the state of Ohio, uh, <laughs> two hours down the interstate. Uh-huh. And drafting Buckeyes is yep. like a thing, uh, is is a once in a blue moon occasion. They have Denzel Ward, uh, you know, Pro Bowl corner, Tommy Togiai. They drafted him a couple years ago, and I didn't even know the dude was even. A Buckeye. So yeah, it's it, it. These teams kind of mirror each other a little bit, yeah. you know. Right. So I mean, I'm just trying to think. So obviously, the LSU players on this roster: Cade York, Grant Delpit, as we mentioned, Ethan Pochich. Am I missing any? Used to be Jarvis and used to be Odell. Yes, that's, what that's that's what I'm thinking is Jarvis. Yeah, and Odell. it's uh, kind of you know they they, yeah. they they they've they've slimmed down on the LSU. Tigers. And I think I, I think I also get kind of mixed up because Cincinnati has the rest of them. But yeah, and then you look at the Saints and it's like all Ohio State players. And it is kind of funny. Like you talk about a team that from New Orleans going out to play in the cold, but they have all yeah. these players who are very familiar <laughs> with the state of Ohio. Yeah, Ohio State historically plays well at the Superdome. Let's not forget that. By the way, when the, when the Browns and Bengals play, it's basically LSU on LSU crime these days. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, oh, Greedy Williams. That's the one I was forgetting. He's also LSU. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yep. Deion Jones, also LSU. Yeah. They're they're all over the place. But no, so I guess one of the things that is interesting about this matchup to the Saints, while they kind of want to pretend it didn't happen now, they went hard after Deshaun Watson. They genuinely thought they were going to get him. And Deshaun at the last second was like, you know what? (laughs) They're going to guarantee my own contract. I'm going to Cleveland. And but I think at the same time, the team, the fan bases who didn't get him were like, you know what? Okay, this is a drama that we may probably didn't want to deal with in the first place. I am curious, how has Deshaun been welcomed, if you will? You know, is is it kind of awkward at times? Do is there still kind of the kind of overarching thing now that the suspension is over? Is is it kind of just water under the bridge? How how has that been going? Yeah, I would say it's it's pretty much all about football right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but he's a shadow of the player that we saw in Houston, and part of that's because of the 700-day layoff, and now the weather's kicking in. So he's not going to be lighting it up anytime soon um, because the, the Browns finish next week at Washington and then in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. So 
the 450 yard passing game or, you know, clinic that Deshaun is going to, that's going to have to wait till next season. But look, um, there's no question there was, uh, you know, uh, a fracture uh, within the Browns fan base. There is a segment of fans that, and I'm a couple of them are my friends that are like, yeah, I, I could care less about the Cleveland Browns anymore. Uh, right. But there were, I'll tell you this, there were no protests at training camp, which I was expecting. Okay. I've not heard or seen any protests outside of games at First Energy Stadium. I, I think that most of the anger that is projected his way uh, following those accusations in, in civil suits has come on the road uh, from opposing uh, teams and fans, right? Um, so, uh, I mean, yeah. I assume he gets booed by uh, like relentlessly by other teams. Yeah, he, he does. Um, but it, as far as my interactions and the media's interactions, uh, it's been requested since he came back from the suspension that the, you know, the questions are football related. And, and, and part of that has to do for legal reasons, because he does have two active cases still against him going. And also because of the confidentiality related to the, counseling that he was uh, required as part of his reinstatement to, to undergo. Right. So there's some privacy that's involved there. So I, I understand and respect why he is unwilling or unable to answer anything that is not uh, football uh, related. But um, yeah, it, it's pretty much calmed down and all of the, uh, the anger that is projected his way comes externally and mostly outside of, you know, the city of Cleveland from other NFL cities. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You know, it's obviously a very different situation, but it is similar in the sense that, you know, Alvin Kamara is dealing with very serious court proceedings, right? And it's like, he he tries to avoid us. <laughs> and it's on like advisement from his attorneys being like, the less you say, the better. Right, right. And so it's like, okay, either we can ask him football questions and actually get information because we do want to talk to him about the Saints, or we can pepper him with legal questions that he's not right. going to answer and it's just going to piss him off and then he will avoid it. So it's like, you know, from a from a sports reporter perspective, you kind of have to just abide by it. Like there's not much you can do because if you just constantly piss the guy off, then you're not getting anything. Right. And, and that's kind of been the approach here. The first press conference to post suspension – you know, a couple of news reporters showed up and, and asked him, you know, asked him non-football questions. And he had the, the answer prepared on the advice of my lawyer. Yeah. And, you know, because of the confidentiality with, uh, you know, the counseling, I'm not answering, you know, I'm not going to answer it. I respect the question. I understand the question. Yeah. But I just, you know, I'm not, I'm only going to, you know, I'm just going to stick to football. So that's, that's understandable. And, and I think that we as a media core in the off season, did a fair job of peppering him with the, you know, questions related to the allegations made against him, both at his introductory press conference at his, you know, uh, I think he talked in June again before they broke for summer vacation after the settlement uh, was reached with the NFL in August. So I, I don't want people to think that we have 
shirked our responsibilities right. as people to cover the team and just pretended like none of this was happening or going on. That's that's not what's happened. But now that the, you know he's back on the field, he's been reinstated. He has, in the eyes of the NFL, paid his price. Right, just for lack of a better phraseology. As, as far as 23 of the allegations that were levied against him in civil court, the women uh, have received justice in the eyes of the legal system. You know, the legal system determined that there isn't enough there to charge him with a crime. Right. So their only recourse was the, the civil court. He has settled 23 of those cases. As I mentioned earlier, two of those cases are still pending. But yeah, that, and that's, I think, why our focus, our attention is, you know, we're asking them about, hey, playing in cold weather and, you know, getting back on track, be, be, getting back to being the guy that led the NFL to passing in, in 2020 and, and things like that. I'm going to be honest, like when I when he decided to go to the Browns, because we were just sitting there kind of waiting for so long. And, uh, you know, as, as a reporter. Hey, I had already written the Browns obituary. They yeah. were out of the running. Like right. I was like. Whew, I dodged a bullet there. I'm not going to have to write or talk or exactly. anything about this, right? Well, I remember I was, next- talking, I was talking to my fiance, and I was just like, you know, it's kind of annoying that the Saints still don't have a quarterback, but, man, I didn't want to have to deal with that circus. And then and then I get up the next morning, and about 10 o'clock, I look at the – I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> I see the Schefter tweet, and I'm like, no. That guy ruins days better than anybody. Yeah, yes, maybe, he does. Maybe Woj. Uh, <laughs> No, oh, you know man. what? Usually when Woj drops Cavs bombs, they're good Cavs bombs. I remember we'll the Anthony to, Davis day. That was that was a rough day. We'll, we'll just have to see if this ultimately ends up being a good Shefty bomb for the Browns here. If he's, yeah. he's two and one. Hasn't been pretty, but he is two and one as the starter for the Browns. So. I did enjoy that the NFL decided to suspend him exactly enough games so that he could play the Texans in his first game back. Yeah, and I it's really hard for me to believe in coincidences there, right? 11? 11's not a number. That's a total, total troll job by (laughs) somebody. Let's go 11, and he's eligible to come back December 4 in Houston. In Houston, too, yeah. (laughs) There's no way. All right, so let's let's shift a little bit just so, like – we, this doesn't end up being the Deshaun Watson, Watson podcast. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, well, I guess my last question is, you know, Nick Chubb, obviously everyone knows about Nick Chubb. He's an excellent running back. What makes him so difficult to stop? Because it's like, he's not the fastest guy in the world. He's not the shiftiest guy in the world, but he's just constantly picking up. You know, I think he leads the NFL in 20 plus yard runs, which is not what I you would expect for a guy when you look at him as a, as a you would expect him to be this pounding runner between the tackles. He is, and uh, he won't run away from anybody, but he'll run you over, and he mm. won't think twice about it. Uh, I think part of the reason is he squats like a thousand pounds, uh, and yeah. I'm not exaggerating. Like, I mean, yeah, it was like 680. He's built like a fire hydrant. Yeah. I, it's it's incredible. He really is, and he just he works and works and works. He doesn't he doesn't he doesn't like talking to us, and it's not personal. It's just he just he's he's just a quiet guy. Who likes to go play football. That's it. You, you know what I'm saying? The media thing is part of his job, literally part of his job. And he shows up, he does it for five minutes and walks away and goes to practice and that's it. But he has a work ethic. You you rarely see, you know, from guys, he's relentless. Uh, He's a violent, competitive runner. Um, He he always keeps the feet moving. You'll, You'll see 
uh, even go back and look at some of his runs. Like even when they start stacking them up, the feet are still going. He's still churning and, and, and trying to, to, to push the pile. Um, so, yeah, I, that, that's what makes him him. He lets his play do the talking for him. And also, too, the Browns have a really good blocking scheme. They pull the tackles and the guards all the time. And those tackles and guards get to this, especially the guards, Wyatt Teller and Joel Batonio. They get to the second and third level. Like Wyatt Teller kills fools. Like if it, <laughs> like you do not want your corner that or safety to have to come up and try and come at Nick Chubb because if Wyatt Teller is in front of Nick Chubb, your dude's gonna feel it the next morning. I so it it it, it really is. Uh, you know, Bill Callahan uh, is one of the best offensive line coaches in the business. Um, he's here in Cleveland. And so I think it's a combination, the player, the physique of the player, the skill of the player, and the scheme that he gets to run behind has all kind of conspired. Unfortunately, the poor guy can never win a rushing title. Yeah, Freddie Kitchens uh, robbed him of a rushing title a couple of years ago. Thank God that was a one-year experiment. They got him out of here. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> But it, it is amazing that um, four straight Pro Bowls for him, and he just piles up those 1,012, 13, 14, 1,500 yard seasons, but he can't ever lead the NFL at rushing. It, it really is amazing because he deserves to. He's that good of a runner, and he's that good yeah. of a person. I remember watching him at Georgia and thinking, you know, I, I didn't think he was going to have this type of NFL career. But Well, because you know, of the knee injury. I mean, that was yeah. like the number one concern when they drafted him because yeah. the 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 – the knee injury was just so severe when he was in college. You're like, I see the talent, but like, where's the durability going to come from? And he's been fantastic. I will be curious to see, because as you know, running backs, their shelf life is so condensed compared to any other position on the field. Right. I am curious. And my, and this is why I've been so hard on the Browns this season in underachieving is because like, I don't know how much more, you know, how many more years of Nick Chubb can you waste without making playoff runs? How many more years of Miles Garrett can you waste without making playoff runs? Like, I kind of feel like, okay, careers don't come to die in Cleveland anymore like they did maybe 10, you know, 5, 10 years ago. But goodness gracious, at some point, the talent has to you know, really kind of pay off in, in, in some wins and some playoff runs here. Well, when you miss the quarterback, you it, it messes up a lot, you know. And it's funny because Saints are having the same conversation about Alvin Kamara right now. It's like two seasons without making the playoffs, assuming they don't make a crazy playoff run this year. Like that's, you know, you're, you're ending his career on a bad note. Okay, so one more question and I'll cut you loose. Um, so fill, the, fill in the blank here. The Browns win this game if what? They run it 50 times. Okay. Like, so yeah, assuming they're ahead, yeah, and they don't have to throw. Yeah, they're they're gonna both of these teams are gonna have to run the ball. You know, you, you, the good news for Cleveland, they're really good at it. The bad news for New Orleans, they haven't been good at it, and their guy Alvin Kamara is not having a great season. So, yeah, but I, what I will say to that is, and I've been saying this a lot today specifically, is I wouldn't be surprised if you know Andy Dalton's a starting quarterback, Taysom Hill outsnaps him, and they run like that power. Uh, yeah, that the gimmicky just... stuff that, yeah. Uh, and, and the other thing, too, that I'll, I'll say is what bodes well for New Orleans 
is the Browns linebacking core this year has been completely decimated. They have four mm. players uh, that have landed on injured reserve. Anthony Walker, uh, Jacob Phillips, Sione Takitaki, and Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa. So their, their top four rotational linebackers are all on injured reserve and done for the year. So opportunity does knock for the Saints because defensive tackle is not one of the strong spots on the field for the Browns. And okay. it wouldn't shock me to see Miles Garrett get moved from the edge to the inside to help stop the run just because the pass rush probably not going to be as important on Saturday as much as stopping the run. All right. So one okay, one one other quick question. How do you pronounce the center's name that is not Ethan Pochich? Yelda Froholt. Yelda? Yelda. Like Zelda? With yes, the, with the- Yelda. Yelda. It's pronounced Yelda. I've double-checked it a thousand times. In fact, here, if you want, I got my Andy Dandy Brown's pronunciation guide here somewhere. I could have tried 12 different pronunciations. I would never have gotten to Yelda. For anyone wondering, it is spelled H-J-A-L-T-E. Yelda. That is quite a name. I I'm not going to lie. So I freaked out when Posick went down, and this kid came in because the first thing I said is, how the hell do I say his name? <laughs> and, the resp- and the response I got was, it's at the bottom of the unofficial depth chart, dummy. <laughs> and so then I looked, I was like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, there, there it is. It's Yelda. Kind of reminds me of this this offseason, and this is just an aside, is uh so you know Penny Sewell, the he was a top yeah. pick for I think it was the Bengals. I can't remember. So his his younger brother, his name is spelled N-E-P-H-I. Now, how would you pronounce that if you just had to go at it? N-E-P-H-I. Nephi. There you go. So all offseason, we referred to him as Nephi Sewell. Okay. And like we like we asked questions about Nephi Sewell. We asked the head coach about Nephi Sewell. Never got corrected. Then one day, Eric Wilson is a linebacker, comes out and we ask him, oh, you know, Nephi's been showing off in, in practices. What do you think about him? Oh, you mean Nephi? See, and that's the <laughs> really, thing. Wait, like, what? And the next day, it was in the pronunciation guide. Right. Well, <laughs> and, and the thing is, is... You know, we always want to pronounce players' yeah. names correctly because, at least from my standpoint, if I mispronounce a player's name, You're not doing your job. I'm not doing my job, and it's disrespectful toward yeah. the player and 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 the family, right? So I always get nervous. I, I remember when I was young in the business, and the Cavaliers drafted Zadrunas Ogalskis. Ogalskis, yeah. They also drafted Vitaly Potapenko. Okay. And was it Potapenko? Or was it Pot- Potapico. I remember and, that name. Yeah. And I learned real fast how valuable pronunciation guides are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it is Yelda, Yelda. Fro Holt. I'm gonna I'm gonna show off uh, with, with all with all the with all the Saints fans when they if he if they if he ends up doing something, be like that's Yelda. Yeah, there, there is there is a chance that you could see him because he has basically been that sixth offensive lineman in the rotation. He he's the he's basically the backup interior offensive lineman. I'll have to text our Mike Haas is our play by play guy. I'll have to make sure he's on uh, he's right on that one because if he's if he slips, I'll uh, Well, I'll if he read the Browns media notes this week, it's on there for him. Yeah. So he should oh, and be no, okay. knowing knowing Mike, he has spent at least like a half hour already yeah. being like yelled the yeah. Froholt. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Joe. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. All right. That's going to wrap it up for us in this episode of Inside Black and Gold. My name is Jeff Noack. And uh, yeah, I appreciate, as always, everyone listening to the end. That was Daryl Ryder 
Check out his podcast, as always, Game Day in Cleveland. Check him out on Twitter. He's the Browns reporter for 92.3, the fan out in Cleveland. Uh, a lot of great insight there. Hope you enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back after the game for our typical post-game pod. I'm guessing Steve will not be able to be on that one, but I will check with him, and we will find out. Hopefully, it's after a Saints win. And hopefully, playoff hopes still intact, I think, as he mentioned, it will be a very run-heavy game, and I expect a whole lot of hasem. Let's see how it goes. All right, y'all. Thanks. Peace.